Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about the first four women to be named to the office that handles Bishop Synod. Then, we'll unpack the latest developments in the debate over who knew what when about former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, and what new information tells us about the claims made by Archbishop Vigano in a bombshell letter last fall. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. So our first story this week, Jerry, is that four women have been appointed as consultors to the office that handles synods. Last year, there was some attention drawn to the fact that women weren't represented at the synod on young people in the same capacity as men. The The big sticking point here was that they weren't allowed to vote when there had been a case in the past when a layman had been allowed allowed to vote. But now we're seeing these women be involved in the process more in the, in the actual structure of synods. Um, so... I've seen some people in the press saying that these are really high-ranking jobs in this office. And I wanted to ask you, you know, is that true? What do consultors do? Well, to understand the secretariat of the synod, it has a board, which is the Cardinal Baldessari, who is the secretary general, then the number two, a bishop, and then a board of 10 cardinals and five bishops. That's the board, and that's the group that the Pope sits with uh, to discuss how to the Senate should go, to discuss this. Right. I kind of understand them as the organizers of the Senate. Well, they're the board, but the secretariat has a board, and it has then a secretarial staff, and then it has a group of consultors. The consultors, they're up to now, there have been about 10 of them, I think, all men, Mm -hmm. all clerics. Right. What the Pope has done is to add four women to this group of consultors. These are important people. There's not top top jobs, but in terms of the functioning of the Senate, in terms of getting the documents done, what goes into the documents, in terms of synthesizing what's discussed, these people play a role. And so uh, I think it's significant that Francis has put people in the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith for the first time. He's put people in the uh, Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. He's put them on the board there. When you say people, you mean women here, right? I mean women, yes. And now he's putting uh, women in the synod structure itself. And when we're talking about the structure, we're talking about the office that is in Rome that prepares and organizes the synod. And these women will have an input now. I think that's very important. And uh, it's a clear sign that the Pope is uh, delivering on what he said should happen. Right. Oh, at least one of the women said that she sees this also as as Francis acting on this desire he's expressed to have more women in leadership positions. Yeah, three of the women are religious consecrated women. The other is a woman professor in the Roman University. As I see it, we're moving in the direction of having involving more women in all these, first of all, structures, and then in the actual process, synod process itself. 
And we're going to talk more about that synod process and how the participants are involved in different ways once the synod gets closer. Um, Jerry, I wanted to ask you, you know, who are these women? Do you know any of them personally? I don't know any of them personally. Well, one uh, sister was uh, the in charge of the evangelization or young people's work in with the French Bishops Conference. That was Sister Natalie Bacar. That's right. One is from Fe en Alegria, which is a Spanish kind of non-governmental organization involved in kind of active evangelization, but also charitable work, as far as I understand, education, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The laywoman is a professor of sociology at one of the Rome universities. And all of them attended last year's Senate on Young People. The last point I wanted to touch on here is that the Office for Synods confirmed that these are the first women who have ever been appointed in this role in that office. There are a lot of women working in the Vatican Secretariat of State whom nobody sees. The only time anybody got a glimpse of most of these was last when Pope Benedict resigned and they all came out in the uh, Belvedere to say goodbye to him. And then people were surprised at the number of women there. But they're playing very important roles in drafting documents, preparing briefs, uh, helping maybe even in speeches. Uh, And this is, in a way, the, the hidden work of the women in the Vatican. They're hidden. And it seems, would you think it's safe to say that, you know, under Francis, they're maybe becoming more visible? Absolutely. I think he's more determined to get and make women to be seen to be involved and also lay people in in the in the various works of the Vatican. I think it will be very interesting in the when they finish the project for the reform of the curia and this should be at the Roman curia this should be at the end of next year. We'll then have a clearer idea which positions will be open to women at also senior levels. So I, I think it's it's a work in progress. This is how I would describe the women's involvement in the in the Vatican in more visible positions, because they have always been, as I said, behind the scenes. Since last summer, there has been a lot of heated debate over who knew what when regarding former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, now just Mr. McCarrick, um, and his abuse of a minor and of seminarians that was revealed by the Archdiocese of New York last summer. And then what we knew developed a little bit further and was also complicated by this letter that came out last fall alleging that Pope Benedict had forbidden McCarrick from traveling and celebrating public masses and events, but that Pope Francis had lifted those sanctions. And there have been a lot more pieces of information that have come out gradually since then. But yesterday, Tuesday, May 28th, a new report gave us some more information on who knew what when and also raised more questions. And what happened was that McCarrick's former secretary, Monsignor Anthony Figueredo, provided copies of McCarrick's correspondence to Crux and CBS. So, Jerry... We're going to get a little bit more into the specifics of this later, but what is clear now with this document that we didn't know before? The reality, Colleen, the reality is that we're seeing bits and pieces. It's like a mosaic, and people are picking up some pieces of information and putting it in, but there's still a lot of blank spaces. The Vatican is working on a response on the on the McCarrick, you know, what happened? How did McCarrick get to the position he got? And they're going back to the pontificate of John Paul II, 
and looking very closely at that, then to the pontificate of Benedict, and then they're looking at what happened under Francis. Monsignor Figueroa was, uh, I think, former Cardinal McCarrick's secretary for one year, if I'm not mistaken, one, one and a half years. Then he came to Rome, and he seems to have been his point man or his fix-it man. So what we have is a lot of, uh, he's says he's got a lot of emails from from the cardinal, the former cardinal, and obviously that, that that seems very likely. He publishes some of this. Now, what is new in this? He says that Cardinal Ray more or less put in writing uh, restrictions to Cardinal McCarrick. He says that so Cardinal Ray would have known about it. That he says Cardinal Wool was involved in implementing those restrictions. The main restriction was the moving out from the seminary and moving into another place. So changing his residence in the archdiocese. Uh, What it doesn't say is that uh, there is any document signed by any pope. So it seems that this correspondence confirms that informal restrictions were placed on McCarrick. They're not confirmed in writing, but it doesn't say why he had these restrictions placed on him, whether it was about his conduct with seminarians or otherwise. No, some some of the correspondence, uh, McCarrick says uh, clearly, I I didn't have sexual relations with a man, woman, or child. It's a categorical statement. The big question that the story raises is whether, you know, this cover-up and the knowledge of McCarrick's misconduct went all the way up to the Pope and then which Popes were implicated. So, I think it'd be useful if we just kind of go through them in order and and talk about what little we know. Um, So let's start with Pope Francis. In your view, do you think that this report corroborates uh, what Vigano's letter last fall said about Pope Francis knowing about McCarrick's abuse? Or is it possible that he didn't know? There is no evidence in the documentation that has been presented by Monsignor Figueroa that indicates that Francis knew about the abuse or the sexual misconduct of Cardinal McCarrick. All that emerges from the document of Monsignor Figueroa is that McCarrick reported on several times to Francis on his travels to the Middle East, to China, and such like. And so it is in relation to these reports that we have the correspondence from McCarrick to Francis. Nothing else. There's no mention of the abuse. There's no mention of restrictions. Nothing in these letters that ties it to Francis. You can read these letters as confirming that Francis knew about the restrictions because McCarrick is reporting on his travels to Francis. But it sounds like in your view... That's that's not enough to to say that. There's no nothing in 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 what we have seen, what has been made public, which even mentions the fact that there was restrictions on travel. In terms of Francis, the the question of the restrictions was in the correspondence between McCarrick and cardinals Ray, who was the prefect of the Congregation of Bishops, and Cardinal Bertoni, who was the Secretary of State of Benedict XVI. I've spoken to people in the Secretariat of State, those who are working there now and those who worked there before, and they said it was common for McCarrick to travel all over the place, and he would then send us reports. So it seems to be a pattern that preceded 
Francis that preceded Benedict that goes right back to the pontificate of John Paul II. Uh, so that would actually predate when Vigano says that these restrictions were placed. Vigano in his memorial says, I then told him that he was doing a lot of destruction to young seminarians and that there was a big file on him in the Vatican. Well, you can read this in many ways. He doesn't use the word abuse. And so it's a question of Francis might have read it in many ways. Secondly, this was the, the Francis was a pope three months. He was dealing with a lot of people. Vigano's uh, meeting was one of several that he had in that day. And there were some very big issues that we know that were being dealt with. Now, whether Vigano presented this in a way to really attract his attention and say, here was a cardinal who was abusing young young seminarians, uh, I think if he had said it in that way, I think the Pope would surely have remembered. But he's obviously said it in some other way. The, the problem is there's no body eavesdropping on the conversation between the two. So if the Pope says, I really didn't know about this. And I cannot remember him saying it. It, it suggests that uh, Vigano didn't really make a big deal of it. I think it's also worth mentioning while we're talking about Pope Francis that this interview came out yesterday in which he denied that he knew anything about McCarrick's misconduct. We've been dealing with information for about a year and uh, there is a lot still to be discovered, to be understood. But I think... Uh, it is extraordinary that what Archbishop Vigano came with calling for the resignation of Pope Francis, when in reality he would seem to have been, of the three popes, to have been the least involved in the case of McCarrick. So let's work a little bit backwards now and talk about Benedict XVI. Um, has he commented on if he knew anything about McCarrick's abuse or the rumors about these restrictions being placed on him or anything like this? Not in public. I don't know if he has spoken in private to Francis. We don't know. But there is no nothing on the public record where Benedict speaks about this. What we do see is that in 2009 and 2010, Benedict being very friendly when, when uh, McCarrick came. And then I saw myself that on the 28th of February 2013, McCarrick was one of those who went up to say goodbye to Benedict, and it seemed quite a friendly meeting. Now, who would have imagined that this man was under restrictions? Right. So the question that remains with Benedict is, if he did place these sanctions, which these documents seem to lean towards in some way, at least there being restrictions that exist, you know, the question is then whether he ever tried to enforce them when McCarrick would seem to be breaking them in pretty high-profile ways. So now let's move on to John Paul II. McCarrick rose through the ranks during John Paul II's pontificate, um, and this would have been while questions were being raised about him. So the question to ask here, I think, is, you know, did nobody notice or, or raise objections to his rise through the ranks? Well, th there is some evidence, and really th th this goes really to the heart of the matter. It is clear now that people knew that McCarrick, about his beach house, his, his uh, bringing seminarians there, etc., the people knew. And it seems clear now that this was also reported to Rome. I, I think we're likely to get more information on this. Uh, 
So the question is, why was he appointed as Archbishop of Washington and then as Cardinal? One of the names that is not mentioned there is the John Paul II's secretary, Stanislaus Jivic, who was really the gatekeeper to John Paul II and with whom Makarik seems to have had a very good relationship. He was the man who who gave information to John Paul II, who opened the doors for people to meet John Paul II. He had his, if you might call, radar or tentacles all over the place. So he was really well informed of what was happening. And so people have raised many questions. So that's an important person to ask about. And another person that that I was curious about, whose name comes up in Figueredo's documents, is Cardinal Giovanni Battista Rey, who you've mentioned a little bit in relation to uh, John Paul II. Um, now, looking at the timelines, it looks like shortly after Cardinal Ray uh, became head of the Congregation for Bishops, that shortly after that was when McCarrick's sort of rise to the rank of cardinal started. He got transferred to Washington as archbishop and then within uh, like two years became a cardinal. So what does it appear from these documents that Cardinal Ray knew about the sanctions on McCarrick? Well, it, it, it seems that Cardinal Ray knew a lot. Uh, remember, you should remember several things. Cardinal Ray was very close to John Paul II. He was substitute, in other words, chief of staff under John Paul II. He was also very close to Monsignor Jivic, the Pope's secretary. And uh, he, it was known that he would be many times at the Pope's table. So he he was really an insider with uh, John Paul II. And uh, the question is, uh, when he came to know about these questions about McCarrick. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, as we've been talking about, these these documents are only one small part of the conversation and the larger story here. Um, But there may be more documents sitting in, in the Vatican that would round out the story. Has the Vatican shown any interest in releasing their documents? The, the Vatican is working on a report on McCarrick. Uh, I think we may see this in the coming months. I imagine there is an enormous amount of documentation. Remember, McCarrick communicated with so many Vatican officers, so they have to sift through that information and see what is relevant in terms of the questions that have been raised. So there are many questions, and there's a lot of documentation. And the question is, there is no point in putting out uh, a thousand pages. I, I think what the Vatican will probably try to do is uh, give this, the essentials for people to understand what happened, uh, probably naming names. And uh, it's clear that many people knew about McCarrick. But they knew rumors. How many people had actually definite confirmation that something really was going wrong uh, remains to be. Uh, I've spoken to many people, and uh, people are seem to be still uncertain or in the dark on this question. There's a lot of questions to ask, and I think we can count on asking those questions as as more and more information comes out. You can find more information about the McCarrick case and the sexual abuse crisis as a whole at americamagazine.org, and I'll link some of the relevant stories in the show notes. (music) 
At the end of this week, uh, the Pope will be traveling to Romania. Jerry, what can we expect from that trip? The Pope sets off to Romania on Friday morning. He's there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a majority Orthodox country. Uh, he will go to beatify seven bishops who were died as martyrs in between 1950 and 1970. And, and this re really brings us back to reality, you know, that uh, the church has martyrs as well, not just sinners. Jerry, I'm looking forward to hearing all about that trip when you're back. Uh, safe travels. Thank you. Jerry and I will not be recording next week, but look out for something special in your podcast feeds. And in the meantime, you can keep up with Jerry's coverage of the Pope's visit to Romania, as well as Cardinal Pell's upcoming hearing at americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at the William J. Loeshirt Studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>